Hello and welcome to the show. This is Molly Elmore with Clever Hummingbird and this is the Two Steps Ahead podcast and today we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the future of money and what are the BRICS nations doing that may give us a clue as to where this whole money thing is headed. All right, if you're not familiar with the BRICS nations, it's an acronym and it stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And these are sometimes referred to as emerging market nations, but they are essentially a group of nations that have expressed interest in trading with each other outside of the dollar system. Since 1944, after World War II, pretty much every country on the planet has traded oil, energy, other types of energy, food, commodities, all the stuff that countries buy and sell. They have been traded in dollars and that was sort of set after world war ii as part of the bretton woods agreement and it actually served a, a positive valuable function as nations were recovering from the war but over time uh you know when we didn't really have to rebuild those nations that were devastated by world war ii it kind of created a, an unfair balance of power that I think some larger nations, particularly Russia and China, got pretty resentful about. So for example, the US via the Federal Reserve has the ability to print reserves out of nothing, which means that the US can essentially buy absolutely anything they want on the global market, kind of for free. Like if you can print the money, you can buy whatever you want. Whereas a country like Russia or China if they want to buy the same amount of things on the global marketplace, they actually have to expend energy, resources, assets, whatever, to pay for those things. So it's not really a fair system, to be honest. Now, as a result, uh, some of these nations that have not really benefited from the dollar system directly have expressed an interest in trading outside the dollar. And that is not news. That's the BRICS Alliance was actually founded, um, you know, at least over a decade ago. The one record I have shows around 09 after the financial crisis. So it's been a while and nothing really was happening kind of on that front until two major things happened this year. Namely, the U.S. government sees the the reserve assets of both the Afghanistan Central Bank and the Russian Central Bank. And that's a big deal. Uh, when central banks store their value in a reserve asset, the global reserve asset, which is dollars, and those are seized, regardless of whether or not it's justified, that creates a big risk for a central bank. It sends the message that if you do not align with the political beliefs of the US government, your assets can be taken. So as a result, uh, other nations expressed a desire to store their wealth somewhere else in the event that that were to happen to them. So this kind of launched a new resurgence with the BRICS Alliance. And this summer, uh, in July of 2022, they announced plans to issue a new reserve currency for the purposes of trade. So a lot of times when two countries trade with each other, they, they don't necessarily pay each other for like every single transaction because if you, let's say you have two countries, you have A and you have B, like let's say A sends, you know, 10 shipments of widgets over to B 
and B sends, you know, 20 shipments of a different widget over to A, they basically total up the amount that they're owed by the other one and they kind of settle up on the difference. And that's why this, this term or concept of settlement comes into play. So you don't need to necessarily like transfer funds for every possible transaction, uh, but you settle up on the net difference if there are multiple transactions. Sometimes they call that kind of batching, like you can just batch all the stuff together and sort of settle up once. And that's because the process of settlement is very old school and antiquated, which is why I kind of got interested in this idea because using blockchain and digital assets has kind of changed how that transfer of money around the, the globe is going to work. All right, back to BRICS. So this summer they announced plans to issue this new reserve currency uh, and they kind of dropped a couple of clues and I've watched some interviews with people more knowledgeable about this and read quite a few articles and he, this is basically a summary of what I have learned and what I think this currency will look like. However, until it's a done deal, this is just simply speculation on my part. So one option that they could have done is this group of nations could have kind of formed their own little club and said, you know what, we're going to trade back and forth and we're going to use one of our currencies. The Chinese yuan is the most logical candidate. China does tons and tons of, you know, uh, exporting, they have a, a currency to do that. Why not just use the Chinese currency for this? Well, this comes back to what's referred to as the Triffin Dilemma. It's a paradox in that if you are the country that issues the reserve currency, which has been the U.S. for all of our lifetime, it has pros and cons. The pro is that you have a strong currency. So you, because everybody else needs to trade in your currency, there's constant demand for it. And basic supply and demand, the more people that want something, the greater the demand for it. So the U.S. dollar has always had an advantage in terms of strength because everybody is always buying dollars for the purposes of trade. But here's the downside. If you have a very strong currency, that makes it very expensive for other people in other countries to buy the stuff made in your country. So it has hurt U.S. exports substantially. Which is why if you are American, you've noticed that over the course of your lifetime, U.S. manufacturing has left. It's gone overseas. And this is in part due to the fact that the dollar is so strong. American products have a difficult time competing on the global marketplace and due in part due to the exchange rate. So it's not really in China's best interest to take over that role because China is a massive exporter. And if all of a sudden all the stuff made in China became too expensive, that would not be good for the Chinese economy. And they show no signs, to be honest, of shifting away from that uh, via a massive infrastructure project that China has undertaken called the Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building br bridges, roads, trains, all sorts of ways to uh, get Chinese-made goods to Africa, Asia, and Europe. So. They don't want to cut back on exporting. They wouldn't be building that infrastructure project if they did. So it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, to use the Chinese currency as the reserve currency for the BRICS nations. Hence, their plans to issue this new currency, which is being referred to as a basket currency. What does that actually mean? A basket currency is, is a kind of a composite of a variety of other 
currencies. And this is not a new concept. Uh, when the group of leaders met in 1944 to form the Bretton Woods Agreement, where the dollar was named reserve currency, there was another option that was on the table that people considered. It was called the Bancor, B-A-N-C-O-R. And it was a basket currency of the, the major nations participating in that agreement. But it was voted down. And I'm actually not totally sure why, to be honest. But it was proposed by an economist called Keynes, who has a lot of monetary policies that are not that I don't necessarily agree with in a lot of ways. But regardless, the dollar was picked. Bancor was not. Uh, years later, the IMF created another basket currency called the SDR, uh, Special Drawing Rights, that again can be used as a reserve currency um, for purposes of trade settlement. Now these re reserve currencies are never designed for people like you and me to use. Like we're never gonna buy stuff with like an SDR. It's almost like the banks have their own like private network where they send money back and forth to each other uh, using these reserve assets. And you could do it with your own nation's currency, or in some cases you could use this uh, basket currency asset. And it helps to alleviate any one nation from this burden, um, especially if they are an exporter. All right, back to BRICS. So they want to issue this basket currency, uh, and they are doing a different spin on it than the IMF did. So not only would it be based on currency, uh, it's going to take into account some other things, namely the GDP of a nation. So if you are a large country like China, you would be issued more of this new currency than a smaller country like South Africa. But to give you an advantage or uh, help you make up for that, if you're a smaller nation, the BRICS are also going to allow assets to be used. And there's apparently a list of 20 assets that includes gold, silver, oil, commodities, a whole list of things, which kind of takes me into this concept that all the value on the planet will be tokenized. And this BRICS currency kind of feeds into that hypothesis. And what does this mean? The best way I can explain this is to think about a casino. So if you went to a casino and you had a bunch of money in your wallet, you could take out this cash and you give it to the casino people and they hand you back a bunch of poker chips that you are able to use within the casino to play the games. In this BRICS analogy, you, these countries are able to do kind of the same thing. They show up with their wallet and their wallet, though, would, could contain cash, but it could also contain diamonds and gold and oil and all the assets that they have that have value. And they have this big pile of stuff, big, big pile of value, let's call it. And they go to the BRICS casino and they are awarded or given, minted actually, we'd say, because these are going to be digital assets. They're going to be minted a bunch of tokens that correspond to the amount of value in their stash. Now the stash is supposed, now this is my hypothesis, I don't know this is a fact, but my understanding is the stash is supposed to stay somewhere safe. It's, it's kind of like acting like collateral for this other currency. And so if you have all this gold, you're not supposed to go out and spend it, you're supposed to store it somewhere so that this asset you actively trade 
is a tokenized representation of this value that each country has. So you can keep your gold sitting in a vault somewhere secure, but you have this tokenized representation of it on the blockchain that you can use for the purposes of trade. Uh, this also explains why we've seen central banks around the world stockpiling gold, is that if these currencies were now issued in accordance with the amount of gold a nation held, it kind of gives new purpose to gold that we don't have currently. All right, so each nation in the BRICS, they have their own sovereign currency, you know, the, the Russian ruble, but they need to be issued this new token, this BRICS token, and they could get it based on the value of the physical assets that they have. And this, um, this is a big departure from our current monetary system where everything is paid for in debt. Uh, I spent a lot of time digging into how the supply chain works when I was studying one of the tokens called XDC and realized or learned that basically everything around the supply chain is paid for in credit. So if you want to ship widgets from China to California, or let's say you want to ship widgets from China to like Europe, and you have to go through all these different ports and stop at all these places, you know, your widgets don't stay on the same barge the entire time they get off and they go through customs in one nation and then they get on a different barge and kind of get rerouted. So all these sort of steps throughout the supply chain require money. Like you got to pay barge number one, then you got to pay the customs people, then you got to pay the person in the office who processes the transaction, and then you got to pay the barge number two, etc. There's all these different parties who need to get paid. And that stuff, my understanding is it's all paid for using short-term loans so that the person who is doing the importing they don't have to front all this cash. They basically, they go out, they get this loan, they use the loan to pay all the shipping people. And then once the goods make it to the final destination and they sell it to the stores or distributor or whomever, they take that money they get paid in and they use that to pay off the loan. This allows them to, you know, fund a whole lot of shipping without having to necessarily have cash for all of these steps along the way. This is why interest rates are a big deal because it's not just about homes and cars, like the whole supply chain runs on credit and you have to pay interest on these loans. So this, back to this sort of BRICS thing, if they move to this currency where now everything is going to be issued based on assets, it kind of it's a big departure away from this debt model where all the money that people, countries use to pay for stuff is a loan with interest, this is now a very, very different setup. Uh, in one regard, that's great because debt can create problems. You can default on debt. You can become kind of a prisoner of debt. You know, you, the IMF doesn't really loan out money because they're generous. They often loan out money because they want uh, political support for things. So this could be a big departure away from that debt model that has all sorts of flaws. But before we celebrate too much, there are some downsides to this tokenization of everything in that nations may seize every resource that has value via something like imminent domain type of idea and say, 
all of these resources are now property of the country. We've assigned value to them. We've tokenized them for purposes of trade. And citizens no longer have the ability to own things. Um, it seems like a crazy idea that like all of the land, all of the water, even the air could be tokenized. But this is, you know, we're seeing a lot of indicators about this being the direction that things are going. Uh, there is a uh, climate change conference coming up in Egypt, I think, somewhere in the Middle East, uh, call, that I'm going to be doing a separate podcast on. But one of the topics that apparently that conference is going to be covering is tokenization of natural resources. They're going to use it for the purpose of climate change, but essentially it would be giving the wealthiest people a way to leverage natural resources um, for their benefit. This is also kind of ties into the carbon credit market where energy essentially becomes tokenized uh, for purposes of trading. And that I'll do a separate podcast on that because the carbon credit market is quite a fascinating and strange idea. Uh, but it sort of does feed into this, this concept that Everything of value, which includes energy, includes water, it includes land, it includes gold, it includes, honestly, human capital. I mean, if you think about everything that potentially has value, if that could be tokenized and represented on the blockchain for the purposes of trading, uh, that would be a, just a tremendously massive change to how global economy works. And it would be a massive shift from everything being based on debt, which is how money currently gets issued, to being now this system based on tokenized assets. And we've seen the banks have been very forthcoming about their plans to move to tokenized uh, financial markets. Project Guardian and Project Ion have both confirmed that like, the stock markets, bond markets, et cetera, are moving to this concept of using tokenized digital assets for settlement. It does look like via this BRICS plan that creating these currencies that are not simply IOUs, the fiat model, to something that is based more on assets, it looks like the logical direction to solve the sort of problem with debt. Uh, and if you own, if you're an owner of these assets, that's awesome, right? Because then you can turn those assets into some kind of tokenized value, uh, but it will create a new level of competition to own things because now you can turn those assets into money in a different way. So if I owned, you know, 10 million acres of farmland, right now that, that only is sort of valuable if someone wants to buy it. But if I were now able to use that as a way to get some kind of currency that I'm able to trade on a market, that just changes how things are done considerably. Uh, I don't want to be sort of pessimistic and worry that this is a bad thing. I just think that this shift has pros and cons, uh, and it will definitely be beneficial to those who have assets, but it will be a unfortunate thing, I think, for those people who don't have a lot of assets. Even in this BRICS basket currency model, if you're a country with a very small GDP and you don't have a lot of natural resources, how would you be able to get some of this SDR for, for uh, trade if you're not able to borrow money anymore? Um, so I don't have all the answers on how that would work and whether or not 
the debt model goes away completely. But it does look like the BRICS nations have announced a new reserve currency that will be used for purposes of their trade that will be tokenized assets and not simply gold or only precious metals, but a variety, 20 different things that will feed into it. Uh, one of the areas of interest that I spend a lot of time studying is the XRP ecosystem and what the products that Ripple has created. And this, uh, one of their products is called ODL, on-demand liquidity. It's essentially a liquidity pool for banks to use for purposes of trade. And this kind of fits in perfectly because if I'm a BRICS nation and I have my BRICS currency, but I don't want to, let's say I want to trade with another country like Mexico that's not in the BRICS, how do I do that if they don't want my BRICS currency and I don't want their North American currency or whatever alliance Mexico may be a part of? You have these sort of two groups that have currencies that aren't really compatible. Well, you can go to the Ripple ODL platform and you can swap your BRICS for XRP and then swap. And then the recipient takes their XRP and they swap it for the currency that they want. So it, it's essentially a foreign exchange liquidity pool that might only be accessible to banks that uses XRP to exchange large, very large nation-to-nation, bank-to-bank trade settlements um, for big quantities of stuff. So the stuff that I've been studying about Ripple's products kind of fits into how this, this could work. It also aligns with the idea that the U.S. dollar will not be the only reserve currency anymore, and this would be a way for different nations to trade with each other without putting that burden on one country to be the issuer of the, the global reserve. Sometimes when people, when I bring up this subject of the dollar not being the only reserve currency, people get really defensive, especially Americans who think that it's this badge of honor to ha- to do that. I actually I think that that's a misguided perception that there will be an amazing and beautiful resurgence of American-made products and manufacturing if the dollar is not forced to be so strong uh, and American-made products could compete uh, globally. And, you know, maybe we are witnessing the end of like one giant massive global supply chain and we're going to move to an era where supply chains are more regional and maybe the entire North America or North and South America become one trade region. There's still a lot of buyers for American products in other countries, even if it doesn't include every country. So moving to this, what they call multipolar world, where you have multiple groups of people trading with, you know, these groups are sort of like isolated islands for the most part, uh, that would give a lot, create a lot of opportunity in the United States. Now, it wouldn't necessarily benefit people who value from a really strong dollar. So I think, for example, it would probably make travel to a place like Europe more expensive. Like right now, it's very inexpensive to go to Europe because the dollar is so strong and the euro is quite weak, relatively speaking. But if we saw a big shift in the exchange rates and the dollar were weaker, it would make buying overseas products more expensive as would visiting some of those countries. So there are pros and cons to any major change like this. 
And I think if we saw the shift away from the dollar being the only reserve currency, there would be pros as cons as well. And I'm not just making this up. I mean, Jerome Powell has said publicly that there is room in the world for more than one reserve currency. So I don't think that the Fed and the sort of controllers of the U.S. dollar are actively fighting this. It's in America's interest to not have that burden anymore, which is why China and Russia are hardly fighting to take on the role of being the global reserve currency because it just doesn't serve a nation who does a lot of exporting. Um, so my point is, is I don't necessarily think this should be looked at as like a failure or a setback for the U.S. dollar. It's actually, I think, freeing the American manufacturing economy from a massive obstacle that's been very difficult to overcome. All right, so that is my thesis as to how the BRICS currency will work. It falls into this line of thinking around tokenization of everything and that the BRICS member nations will now have a way to monetize all of these assets that um, were currently only traded as goods and they weren't really traded as, as value like money. So it's kind of neat. We'll see how it plays out. This podcast may not age well if it turns out I'm wrong on this thesis, uh, but I'm pretty confident that this is the direction we are going. Um, I'd love to have you join my group on locals called Two Steps Ahead. So feel free to join via the link in the description. Uh, It's twostepsahead.locals.com and we can continue this conversation about the future of money over there. Uh, I'll see you in the next episode.